Hey devs, you're tuning in to the debug log number 90. Today's episode is an interview. It's been a long time since we've had a great interview like this, but today we bring you Jeffrey Nahashan, who is a lead artist here at Sprockets, and today we're talking about world building. Uh, you'll probably notice in the show I blunder my words way too many times. It's crazy. So hopefully you forgive me. I couldn't even edit them all out. So I actually blunder right there too. But anyway, this episode is great. I'm sure you guys will appreciate it. And he drops a lot of great knowledge. So without further ado, this is the Debug Log episode 90. Always thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you some more. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's yeah, fine, man. It's fine. Do you hear that squeaky toy? That's I me. did after we did everything. So okay, heard... yeah. Although cool. that would have been great if, like, right after we said our last word, it was like, hurry, hurry. <laughs> exactly. And from the pup. Listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name is Albino Parra. And I'm Ryan Kilgore. And today we have a special guest for you guys, Jeffrey Nahashan, who I mentioned in the intro. He's a lead artist here at Sprockets. And today he's going to be talking to us about world building. So, how to build game worlds. Yeah, and this is a great interview. He's going to tell us all about sort of like the ins and outs and uh, ins and outs and nuances of it. Um, you know, because there's a lot more than just, you know, sort of laying down the geometry or copying a map or that type of thing. It's like, you know, it's sound, it's look, it's feel, it's, you know, there's a lot of sort of atmosphere and aesthetic to create, so. For sure, and he goes into all of that, so let's jump right into it. Absolutely. So today we have an awesome interview for you guys. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it like I always am. Uh, This episode is all about world building. So building a game world. And today we're talking to our very own Jeffrey Nahashan. Dang it, I messed that up. (laughs) No, you're good. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Sweet. Cool. So, um... So I always say this, but I always go like to LinkedIn. I'm sure you actually saw I, I invited you on LinkedIn to connect. So I went, oh, on, yeah. went on your page and researched a little bit about you, found out like the extensive amount of work you've been doing in AAA game development and as it relates to world building and becoming an artist and building your craft. Uh, can you just explain a little bit of about who you are, how you got into, how you got into games, how you got into mobile, et cetera, et cetera? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a long, long story. I'll try to <laughs> kind of summarize for you. I mean, I've, I've grown up around games ever since I can remember. Um, like I've, I've just been exposed to games from an extremely young age. Um, even before like the NES days and things like that. Um, my mom was actually a game developer. Mm. Uh, so I grew up playing games like word munchers and number munchers and Oregon trail. Um, but as a tester as like a five-year-old tester. Oh, wow. What did, uh, what, what did she develop on? What, what were her platforms? Uh, at the time, I think it was like, it was like Apple IIe. Oh, yeah. Um, was like, that's what uh, they the primarily stuff, developed yeah. for. So, those, uh, yeah, big five-inch floppy disks <laughs> and great graphics. And still everybody did the same thing. Like, what are you going to do today? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I got to kill something, get 300 pounds, take back five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was like... It, 
it's such a it's such a you know it's a, it's a meta critique of our whole culture. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's the American That's way. True. Let's kill. So I mean, like I just grew up that way, um, and then finally, like you know, NES came around and it became more like like accessible from an entertainment standpoint. Like I'd been doing game, I've been testing games and stuff like that, like that were educational, um, and then being exposed to development at that young age, like going to visit my mom at work and stuff like that. Um, and started getting into it, asking questions, getting involved. Uh, my first credit is actually Oregon trail Two. Wow. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. So it's a voice credit. <laughs> I got to be some kid at chimney rock. So if you get there, <laughs> if you get there. how many lines did you have? Like, yeah. what, what did you say? Do you remember? Uh, it was like, you know, go to the top of chimney rock, carve your name in there. I guess that's what they did back in the day. Um, <laughs> Like, it's the it's the exact like halfway point from your starting point until you get to oregon so it was like it was like a good milestone marker i never like got that got far there. honestly yeah it's tough it's tough <laughs> don't ever ford a river that's what i think. oh yeah exactly that's some dangerous ever. business yeah like if you do that you're just gonna die it's all right dysentery learned what you, everybody knows what dysentery is now because of that game <laughs> yeah. exactly cool um but yeah, then after that, like went to school, uh, actually after that moved to California with the family, uh, when I was like 16, went to school, uh, down in LA, uh, university of Southern California and did some fine art and lived in Italy for a year. Yeah. Came back, uh, got into PC games, um, worked on a horrible game, horrible game based off of uh, law and order criminal intent. <laughs> It was like the worst point and click adventure of all time. Uh, I think before they started doing ratings, it was like you couldn't even run it. Like they just messed up when they were coding it and it like the install didn't work. Company closed before they could get a patch in. And if I think like 30% of people could run it, but uh, (laughs) did that (laughs) and then uh, moved back up to the Bay Area and uh, started working at an outsourcing company uh, called Black Point Studios. And we were like primarily involved with outsourcing for Midway. Um, so we worked with a ton of their studios and that was kind of a first foray into like AAA games. Uh, worked there for like three years and then bounced around. Uh, the art world's pretty, uh, I don't know, it's, it's temperate. Like you never know what's going to happen. Um, new technologies will pop up. Things will happen where like, you know, cost of making art will go up or go down. So Jobs open, close a lot faster for artists than any other kind of position. Not a lot of uh, job stability. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's just like even outside of you know gaming in general. It's like the the you feel that art has a little more volatility. I guess. Yeah, it's definitely more volatile. I mean, part of it is self imposed. Like as artists, like we're always looking to move and learn um, because it's especially as a professional artist. I, I I wouldn't even call like game art so much as like uh like it does it doesn't compare to like fine art it's not as like a cerebral or like a a full-time vocation it's something that you do to service a product um so to that end you're only as employable as you are useful right so so you're you're constantly learning constantly figuring out new ways new techniques uh to stay like just you know, have utility. Stay relevant. Yeah. So I, I hear that. And, and I think we'll get into a lot of that stuff and just the career, I guess, path that artists may follow or may follow. 
Um, yeah. But um, so yeah, you've you've been you've been uh, you've been in the industry for a while. Like you said, you were at uh, was it Black Black Eye? Black Point Black Point Black Studio. Point. You've been, yeah. you've hit EA, Sony, Sledgehammer as well, Capcom. So you've been pretty much everywhere, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. So actually, you know, getting back to this world be- world building uh, idea, can you explain, in, at least in your own world words uh, or define in your own words, what world building is to you? Well, it's kind of evolved over the over time, like mostly because games have gotten so much larger in scope. Um, like now, world building is kind of a catch-all phrase that encompasses environment art, props, lighting, music, and sound design. Okay, um, and that all of it kind of ties together with gameplay. Uh, so, it's like, depends on where you go. People, you know, like people have different. Have, have used the same terms to describe different things sometimes. Okay. But that's what it means to me. Like world building is like placemaking, figuring out how to make your gameplay space feel like a place that you can be involved in, like a place that has history, a place that has uh, like through the use of light and prop placement and animation, like has a feel to it that you can identify with and call back to and remember as a place un, in and of itself rather than just like uh, another room to be in or another dungeon to go through. Gotcha. So it's like the, it's, I guess it's like the full package, right? So like sort of a, like what you were just saying that sort of like you mentioned the music and the environments and all that. So Assassin's Creed Black Flag sort of came to mind for me where they have like the sea chanties, the old ships, you know, the, yeah. the building It's like just all that sort of came together as far as, visuals storytelling audio like all that just sort of smashed together be like yeah this is what it may have felt like to be a pirate right trying to get that experience across yeah and then like uh, i got i you know cut my teeth doing like props and environment art and like it comes down to like the materials that they use like knowing how they built certain kinds of architecture so that you could make stuff that's believable for the time uh like arranging like lives living spaces in a way that would make sense for the time that kind of helps lend authenticity, but also believability. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, a, that's a really big part of it. At least the visual side um, along with lighting kind of helps, but it depends on if you're going, you know, realistic or stylized. Gotcha. So, so would you say like the world building, I guess, concept of world building, um, in for a game that because that, you think that falls squarely mainly on like the artists and like the the environment artists and uh, what are the other <laughs> 3d modelers 2d like character like model con- yeah yeah your character, character model environmental yeah. art model concept artists you know is it, is speaking it, of actually yeah. you mentioned concept artists do, do you i've actually heard like this this idea that concept art was not important or less important than, you know, maybe the environment artist or the lighting uh, artist oh, or man. even like the texture artist. Like where do you feel concept art stands in the, the idea of world building? Who are you going to throw under the bus? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, only people I ever throw under the bus is animation, but that's, that's a separate story. But uh, no, it honestly, for me in my experience uh, across all the studios that I've been to, the ones without concept art are the ones that have the hardest go of it. Hmm. Um, like it's always easier to iterate in 2d. It just, it's just a physical fact. Like you hmm. have to be able to simply visualize your vision and a concept artist is where that comes in. 
Um, you're able to iterate a lot faster, refine your ideas, come up with new ideas just on the fly in the matter of, you know, it's, it's even at sprockets, like we'll make a character, we'll think of a character, we'll describe it, we'll spend like, you know, two or three days gathering a reference. And then we'll also spend like two or three days making concepts for that character. Um, and it's way faster than it could ever be if we try to just model it, rig it, animate it, and see if it works, right. you know? Um, so concept art is like, is the foundation of the artistic process as far as it goes from a production standpoint. Would you say, would you say the same thing applies? Cause you mentioned uh, character and, and, and modeling and um, animating it. Would you say the same thing applies for concept artists for environments? Do you think that same level of iteration is useful with, with them there? It's, it's super useful. It's um, I mean, it's less as important as it is for, for characters. Uh, especially if you like, if you already know that you have a good style, like if you know you're going to be a realistic style, like you don't need as much concept art from an right. environment standpoint, because you know you're just going to be copying real life. And right. That reference is out there, and that target is out there as well. Where it comes into play is more when it comes to mood, um, and especially in different lighting situations. That's where it becomes a lot more useful and a much better guide to follow. Um, but the <clears throat> But it's definitely more useful for you know characters and and things that require a lot more thought. Like if even if you have a realistic game and all of a sudden you want aliens in there, right? Like what do those aliens look like? What do their ships look like? What do they do to the surrounding areas that they inhabit? Like what are those things that you want to be able to call out as a visual language um, that you're going to be able to carry throughout the game? For sure. And, and you mentioned you mentioned mood. And then I think even earlier you said something about like gathering references when you're talking about a character. Like how like how what, what is your I guess your your workflow for building a world and, and you know, creating a mood for a game? Um, really, I mean, it all really starts with mood. Um, working closely with, you know, if it's your own idea, just spending the time to, to sit down and think about the kind of story that you want to tell and the themes that are involved and what kind of emotions those you want to like evoke. Um, and from that, you want to make sure that everything you choose artistically reinforces that. So like starts with mood and then you start getting into like, if you don't have a really good idea, just finding really good examples. Like, oh, is it going to be dark and dreary? Oh, is it going to be Gothic? Well, maybe you should look at Batman. You should check out all the different iterations of Batman. Um, finding a good movie that you, you liked and finding the scenes that kind of match up with the ideas that you have and seeing how they treated it and how like everything from lighting to sound, how, how it went, um, what they focused on, what was, what was important in each of those scenes and kind of going from there. Nice. Cool. So it's, it's it kind of definitely sounds like nothing really moves forward without solid references being gathered. In my, in my experience, it's always been the best way to go. Like okay. a lot of people do, especially with some of the tools now, like you can, you can iterate pretty quickly on your own, um, but it's really hard to stay on point over a long period of time if you don't have those like bedrocks to go back to. Right. Um, like a lot of times, at the beginning of every pre-production on every project, you want to come out of it at least artistically with a Bible. And that's what we call it. Like it's the Bible. It's the, the key points of uh, concept art that we have that we know that we want to hit and refer back to and use the visual language from. And 
like even file structure like honestly like it covers everything and it's just a way to stay on point and always hit the message hmm. gotcha so is that something just offhandedly is that something you would kind of recommend to some of these not some of these but some of our uh i guess fledgling developers fledgling indie developers who are, are, are just starting out and building their games to create something like that create like a bible a visual bible absolutely i mean it, it doesn't have to be super complex um i got a couple of friends that have been developing their own games for a while and you know they work on small teams like you know two peer, two person four person teams and at least like a style sheet um at the very minimum where you you know you, you spend a lot of time gathering reference images and just get one sheet like in Photoshop and put all of those images in there and arrange them however you want. But like, it's something to always go back to and use as a guide. How flexible is something like that generally? Does it evolve over time or do you generally find it's like, Hey, we found like, you know, maybe these just say core 10 image, 10 images and like, you know, nine out of 10 times will just, those will stay the same. Or do you find yourself over the course of a project sort of augmenting that a lot? Oh, it, it'll always grow. It's always organic. Um, but it's a lot better to have that, that kind of, that just foundation that you're already building upon. Right. Um, like, I mean, even games like, uh, like Borderlands, like it's kind of famous within the art industry as far as uh, a project that, just went crazy off the rails um, <laughs> as far as like how they wanted to make it, what it was going to be, what the heck it was going to look like. Um, and it took them years and it like, it took a real long time to get to where they got because um, they didn't have a really good idea. They didn't really have a good sense of what it is they wanted to do. Right. Um, and I guess, I guess for those of you who may not know, I, I believe Borderlands started as more of just like a sort of a, sort of a bland you know, open world shooter, I guess. I don't know if you'd call it that, but it's, you know, they didn't have a lot of style to it, I guess would be maybe be the way to say it. And over time, like, uh, did you follow that project? Like, what did you see from that? Like, as far as like, Hey, where they started and where they got to, like, how did you feel about that? Well, it's interesting. You don't get to see a lot of stuff of what the way it used to look before they actually put like the cell shaded filters on top of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, those things are rare to come by, (laughs) but it, it's kind of one of those things where, I mean, it, it could have been very, like, just fine, like, great. Like, um, like the game Rage comes to mind where it looked great. It was awesome. Um, conceptually, it didn't really stand out. Um, and that was the problem. And finding that thing that actually really hit with everybody was the hardest part. Um, and it became a problem because it, they just neglected to do that at the, at the outset, the foundation. Mm-hmm. Like if they weren't happy with something going into full production, like hiring a hundred people to work on it is probably not the best. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a cautionary tale. Um, But it is a trap that all sorts of studios fall into all the time. And there's various reasons for it, but as an artist, the best you can do is try to help, you know, mitigate some of that by, just having a clear idea of what it is that you want to do, communicating that well and working with design and, and uh, other creatives to help it come to fruition. Gotcha. Cool. Um, last side note about this one. Um, you mentioned uh, Borderlands and I was wondering, is this like you, you said it was like a, a kind of touted as one of the main things in, in the art world to like reference is, would you say that's the game or what game would you say is like, 
your go-to game for like kind of epitomized world building and the concept or or built a world so finely that you were like oh this is just great great world building it's tough i mean like there's so many good ones out there i mean assassin's creed does it pretty well when they go to their different places like uh, assassin's creed 2 through like revelations like the uh, Ezio series really, yeah yeah that was it was really good they paid a lot of attention to detail and that's more on like the realistic side um but like you know skyrim elder scrolls they've they've spent decades building that world right. um and building the lore and the amount of stuff that goes in there is like outstanding <laughs> like i don't know who writes all those books in that game but uh, <laughs> yeah they, all the stuff i pick up like uh this doesn't do anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then there's like and then there's like uncharted which is still like artistically everybody wants to be uncharted like in the art world everybody wants to do what they do um that's a magic special sauce that they got all to themselves um so gotcha. it, there's different ways to go about it like you don't always have to be realistic um right like stylized universes are some of the most engaging as well so cool uh i don't even think i've mentioned this or put this in our intro but uh you are a lead artist uh, here at sprockets um and again you have like a, a crazy background in your artistry i guess <laughs> <That's> <laughs> from environment true. art prop like you said yeah. <laughs> uh but what, what are your what do you what would you say like what what were the steps that you took to get to where you are today did you like? You, I think you said you mentioned you went to you mentioned school. Like, what other steps did you take to get to where you are today? Honestly, I mean, like for me, school was more of a. I wanted a better foundation. Um, I'd always been in the games, so like I, I felt like I had an okay handle on games. Uh, but I, I really just wanted to get better at drawing. <laughs> Honestly, <Right. laughs> I didn't pick the right school to do that. But <laughs> I, I, Where'd you go to like uh, construction school or something? No, I went. I, I did fine art, but it ended up being something. Uh, like a lot, you, uh, it, totally you, different story. But fine art can mean a lot of different things. You go into oil people. painting, and we're like, "Shit, this wasn't right." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kinda, yeah a little bit. Yeah. It's like this is cool, but it's not really games. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to learn like good foundations, foundational stuff like drawing and painting and things like that. And what it what it ended up being was more just like conceptual art, which is has its place, but it's not what I wanted to do. Um, I, in the end, I ended, up, I ended up teaching myself all the programs that I know. I didn't really go to school for any of it. Um, well, see, I find yeah. that I find that pretty pretty interesting um, and analogous from an engineering perspective. Where I come from is, um, I went to school too and got like just sort of that general background, like you said, that good foundation. But as far as like you know things like Visual Studio or Unity or whatever, you had to teach yourself that <laughs> after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's, I, I don't know, most of the people that I meet that have done that have, have survived a little bit better, uh, at least coming out of the gate. Like we're in a high turnover industry, like yeah. people don't last long. And it, part of that is like, part of that's your expectations going in. Like if, you know, you meet a lot of kids from uh, like Art Institute um, or any other kind of trade school where they, they go in and they're taught, like they're taught exactly what's relevant now. Mm-hmm. Um Right. I'm, a yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm a flash gamer yeah oh yeah yeah i'm a flash yeah exactly and then all of a sudden the, you know the industry leaves it behind and they got nothing they got nothing to do and no drive to learn something else um it's that it's that drive to learn on your own that's gonna always keep it keep you relevant Amen. and keep you aware so yep um, nice cool um also you mentioned that you know one of the things that kind of propelled you was like you just wanted to get better um and i was wondering like how much time 
how much time did you like spend on your craft like outside oh. of going to school outside of going to work like how much time did you devote because i know a lot of artists just personally that pretty much you know not even artists but artists and developers that just outside of all these extra you know demands they are just grinding on their craft like how much time did you would you say that you spent like just honing your skills oh i don't know i mean i couldn't even tell you i after work i'd go back and just keep working um right it's it, yeah every day every night if if something caught my eye or caught my interest <sighs> I, w- I would be into it i'd go just try it out see a youtube video about it try to replicate it find tutorials wherever you could like i mean a lot of this was before the days of like really easy accessible content so right like i'd be in i'd be knee deep in forums talking to some swedish dude who happened to know something about 3d studio max um, <laughs> and like just trying to like replicate what they had done i think for i think the guy i was talking to had worked on the movie lost in lost in space with matt leblanc and like <laughs> And like, it was something as simple as like a lens flare. I was like, how did you render that? Like, how did, I, I can't even get that lighting to show up in my, and he's like, oh, you got to get this plug in. Well, how do you get this mm. plug in? You can't, I can't afford that. And he's like, well, here in Sweden. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me tell you, you about. I'm <laughs> part, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and, and it's, it's so always funny. the way it's been. Like Autodesk, um, before Autodesk bought Maya uh, alias and Wavefront from way back in the day, like you could just email them and ask them for a copy of Maya and hmm. they'd just give it to you. Cause they knew, you know, the more people that learn it, the more useful they're going to be the people they're going to pay for it. <laughs> so. right. oh, wow. Cause yeah. I remember honestly passing copies of that around in school too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, you can just email them and get it. Like I felt we're so underhanded. Right. Yeah. It was weird. And like, it always felt weird, but like, uh, and the only t- kind of trade school I did go to through work, uh, was they sent me to Nomen for a, a class just one class and the guy was like yeah just if you want this copy at home uh here's the email of the rep that i talked to and he'll just give you a copy well shit <laughs> yeah. yes that's great so yeah. lesson learned yeah the, send emails ask <laughs> yeah the only the only downside was like you needed a beast of a machine to do anything so right, that was right. like yeah. that's the cost of entry <laughs> Well, speaking of like Maya and just like all these technologies that you've kind of touched on like how have you had to deal with, you know, the changing face of technology as it relates to the art world and learning all these technologies? Uh, it's been it's been a wild ride. Like when I started, we were just using diffuse maps and bump maps. Uh, right. If you're lucky, you got a specular map. Um, and then the world changed with Unreal 3 making like normal maps a thing. Um, so that basically increased the workload by a third. Um, because you had to learn all sorts of new things, you had to output new maps, all of a sudden you had to worry about optimizing things in a way that you'd never even thought about before. Um, and then PBR came along just recently. <laughs> you got to start learning about those processes and the, the methodologies behind how you actually just carry something like that out and execute. Um, so it's it's come a long way. Uh, Sculpting, sculpting programs have changed. Texturing programs have changed. Um, photogrammetry is a thing now. So now you can just take photos of stuff and it turns right. into a model. Uh, you got to mm-hmm. learn how to deal with that. Like there's a lot of new visual stuff, especially with like different companies really getting into just visual processing in general. Like there's a lot more, there's a lot more tools out there than ever before to, to get what you want. Um, 
the question is like how you do that so you got to go out and learn um like right gotcha. right now the biggest one is substance um that has the most utility as far as an artist is concerned like you can substance painter and substance designer offer just a dizzying array of things that you can do at a pace that you couldn't do before um and it just helps life out in general gotcha um I guess we could uh, quickly talk about that, uh, just since you mentioned substance painter and substance designer, about like other tools in, I guess, the world builder uh, slash artist toolbox, I guess. Like what, what, what technologies do you find yourself using on the day-to-day or when you go home? Like what are your go-to tool set uh, or what is your go-to tool set? For me, the, my go-to tool set, it's kind of antiquated now, I guess, but it's uh, just Maya, <laughs> ZBrush, and substance painter. Um, I use Photoshop here and there. Um, and then in conjunction with whatever engine I f- feel like using, luckily Unreal and Unity are free, so right. you can go into either and so see how it looks. Why do you feel that's antiquated? Just out of curiosity. Uh, just a lot, there's always new tools. Like people have their own workflows now. Uh, a lot of people use like there's 3D Coat out there for if you're into sculpting with that. Um, I mean, I'm not as antiquated as people that use Mudbox, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But like, there's other packages out there. Um, Moto is another one that gets right. a lot of praise from, uh, especially the guy who works for like Wolfenstein and stuff. Like, he always puts his stuff up online and always looks great. Um, so there's other packages out there. Houdini always comes up. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a little bit more. You got to be a lot more technically savvy to use that, right? <laughs> but that's like we write the scripts to do all the SFX or visual effects and stuff. Yeah, you can do that. I mean, you can model in it too. It's oh, I didn't even know that. It's not the most intuitive. It's all node based, so it's like as non destructive as you can get. But the mm-hmm. the thinking around it is really difficult to wrap your head around. Didn't so. correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, didn't. Didn't Sprockets have Houdini? You may want... Yeah, we oh, did. Yeah. We had someone that was researching that and using yeah, that yeah. to do a lot of our uh, SFX. Or no, I was just wondering, I was like, yeah, if you get your hands on it, then it may be floating around. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, I used it at EA uh, when we were working on uh, FIFA, like building stadiums. We'd use it to help just build stadium like tiers in the seating because... Ain't nobody want to model an oval 90 times? Like, <laughs> exactly. That's not so. what you went to school for and dedicated your life to? Yeah, yeah, more yeah. ovals. Need more ovals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need each one of those rows of seats to be perfect. Like, oh, uh, well. Uh, Jump up but, and down, ovals. Yeah. <laughs> so it, cool. it's, it's all got its places. I, like, in there's LOD systems now that have come out where, like, Really, all you have to do is do is worry about the high poly, and it'll just do the rest automatically for you. Um, which ah, I find suspect, but always willing to try. Right. Uh, yeah, those. Cool. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just wondering. Um, separate question, but do you do you find like um, like with that tool toolbox you just mentioned? Do you find like that differs between different? Not well, I guess genres are even a case, but genres and platforms like mobile games from console to PC, like you said, or even to like VR games. Do you feel like your toolbox changes? Um, it kind of depends. It, it's weird. Like RTSs generally like to they favor uh, using 3D Studio Max, um, for various technical reasons. But uh, it all comes down to kind of what you're you're comfortable with and what your studio art director is more familiar with, and and 
like, <laughs> what they dictate. <laughs> yeah, dictate, but also just like they know how to get a certain. They they have a certain standard that they want to hit, and like if you're using like the difference between Max and Maya is like if you want something to be exact, like correct measurements. Like I imagine, mm-hmm. like VR studios want to use 3D Studio Max more than Maya because. 3D Studio Max comes from an AutoCAD background and it's precise. Um, you're always going to get roofs that are 10 feet tall. Like if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. In Maya, it's all, it's it's fungible. Like <laughs> you could put it in at, at 10 units tall and then next time you open it, it'll be like, yeah, 10.004, you know. Like, <laughs> Oh, nice! <laughs> so you would you would think artists would like go crazy about that that offset or those? Um... Nah, it's all approximate. It can't be too precise. Like, interesting. I, I, I learned on 3D Studio Max, and I thought that it was the way to go until I finally like learned how to use Maya like correctly, and I was like, oh, oh my, oh my god! It's it's like all the all the the walls have been toppled and now i have complete freedom to do whatever i want like <laughs> this is amazing like i could wait i can look at it from any angle i can i can select any piece of this geometry whenever i want this is this is nuts <laughs> like max just didn't let you do that so right. cool um did you have a cut another question ryan i heard you no 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 i'm fine i'm fine okay Sweet. Cool. Uh, so one thing I wanted to hop in, just talk about some of your background as a lead artist here at Sprockets mm-hmm. or even on your pro- previous positions was like, what, um, like what, what, what's your main focus? What's your role as a lead artist at Sprockets? What do you do? Do you, is, is your goal mainly just to find good artistic talent for the studio or, you know, what's your day to day look like? Oh, my day to day is crazy. Mostly meetings. Um, <laughs> he said mostly meetings. Yeah, mostly meetings. I mean, lead artist is, my job is really to help ensure that we get the best quality art uh, from the people that we have. Um, and for me, that mostly means making their jobs and their lives as easy as possible. Um, so it's finding them the right tools to do what they need to do, making sure that they understand where things go, how things all work together, understanding like every task that gets handed out to them like they fully understand and feel involved in um, helping helping concept render the ideas that we have for the game in a way that is useful to people. Um, not just pretty pictures for marketing, but also like informs how we build our levels and the characters that we make. Um, it is dealing with creative direction and kind of sussing out exactly what they are in, what the intentions of the game like every game loop, um, every experience that they have in the game, like what those are and, and trying to figure out how to visually represent that in a way that's meaningful and impactful. Right. Cool. Uh, it's funny, you were, you were saying that you're mainly in meetings and I was remembering uh, when we had our interview with uh, Ben Jordan, oh, yeah. who was our TD. Uh, and he, one of the things he mentioned was like, he's always in meetings and he doesn't have a chance to really code anymore, which was kind of disappointing to him. Yeah. And I was wondering, do you feel the same way or like, do you get tired of being in meetings and not having that ability to actually be creative? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, every time I've been a lead, which isn't that much, that much, but uh, it's, I've always tried to get like carve out a slice of work that just is mine. Um here at Sprockets, that's a little bit more than I'm comfortable with, <laughs> but uh, it's it's still it's it's enjoyable to actually get your hands dirty. I, I always find that like 
if I don't, if I get too far removed from the process that everybody else is going through, I don't really understand the the limitations or, or even if I, if I hear a good idea, I may not even recognize it just because I'm not in it. Like I, I don't see right. it. Uh, so sense. I always make, I always make it a priority to do something, be involved from something as small as like, ah, you need to make this switchblade for this character. Like, All right. I can do that. <laughs> That's easy enough. <laughs> I can do a switchblade. I can make a switchblade. That's totally cool. Where do you want it? How do you need it? How do you attach it to your character? Like, And then as I go through, it can be like, oh, wow, this is actually a lot harder than it needs to be. Uh, and then from there, I can go to tool, pro- tool programmers and ask and request stuff that just helps, cuts out you know, man hours out of every task. Um, it makes everybody's life easier. They get to be as creative as they want to and not have to de- deal with all the, you know, the ancillary stuff that comes up. Right. Uh, actually, a int- uh, question just came to mind. Um, how do you, I guess, feel about or like um, establish your place on a project that's already sort of in motion when you come on into it as a lead? You know what I mean? It's like, right. you know, a project's been running for maybe a year or so and it's kind of got its feel. Like, how do you, I guess, acclimate yourself to that as well as sort of give your own input and, you know, style to it? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of draconian. It, I, <laughs> a lot of times, I, I uh, if I'm coming in in the middle of a project, I try to get a, a good idea of exactly what's expected of the role moving forward. Like, is it in a good spot? You just need someone to close it out um, and maintain a bar that's already been hit. Um, are you looking to improve? Where are you looking to improve? Um, and kind of figure out what exactly is missing. Cause like, it's one, like my job I always see is like my ultimate goal is to become obsolete. Like I don't want, I don't need to be there all the time. That's what I, I, I need it to be. I need to have that mentality. I need to set things uh-huh. up so that it, it's a smooth running machine where everybody knows what is expected of them. They understand how to move forward and they can grow. Um, and at a certain point, I don't need to be there. Um, so if I'm coming in, something's not like that. Um, and I want to find out what that is. So once I come into a project, I kind of go through all the documentation, see exactly what it is that they're trying to accomplish um, and start filling in gaps um, wherever wherever they may be. Um, in some cases, that's a lot. In some cases, it's not so much. Um, so right. you're kind of there to smooth it out, get that consistency. And like you said, like if, if they don't need you, you're doing your job. Yeah. I mean, like if if if... Like somebody who, like if a, the creative director is like, oh, we need like, you know, I need another character. They need to be able to count on my team to be able to make it within a timely manner um, and have a pretty good idea of how they're going to go about doing that. Um, so there's a lot of things that I start, I don't need to be as involved in because people understand their roles and understand what they contribute to every step of the process. Um, it's right. when there's that confusion um, that's where I step in. Um, but you know, the less I have to do that is the better indicator of how well the process is working. Um, right on. Cool. You mentioned, um, basically having to fill, fill a gap. And I was wondering like, for, for instances, when you do come up to a project, actually maybe like coming on to a new project, uh, that's really just getting off the ground. Like, how's the, is there a lot of pressure? Do you feel a lot of pressure as a lead artist or a world build, just even as a world builder to build out a a game or world that 
is going to be enjoyed by not only your coworkers, not only your leadership, but eventually <laughs> your player base. All the time. I mean, the player base, I feel like we address that through being consistent. Uh, my philosophy as far as like user base is that, you know, everybody's got opinions, but nobody really knows what they want. As long as you can be consistent and provide something that they can, you know, predictably look at, um, then you've done your job. Um, the rest of it, like the pressure comes from like, you know, like executives or expectations of venture capitalists. Like those are the more difficult things to deal with. Um, because some, you know, people that give you the money have their own ideas. Um, (laughs) and (laughs) how do you, how do you find yourself dealing with those kind of issues? Like when there's like an, and I was about to say overlord, but like an executive (laughs) that says, I want really realistic characters make that for me. Um, how do you, even like, especially like when you do get that pushback or you do deliver something that you felt like met a certain bar how do you deal with that maybe disconnect when there's uh some contention about what's delivered or something i i mean there's a lot of different different tactics to take um i mean it it depends on who you're talking with and how amenable they are to like especially when it comes to realism like you're talking about time and for them time is money so that's a lever Mm. that you can pull like yeah you can get this realistic character we could spend a month making each character but that's a character that's one we got to make a ton of these are you really prepared to wait 36 months until we get all of these characters in or (laughs) like and usually the answer is no and then from from there you can reach a middle ground um other times it's a little bit more difficult i've worked at companies where it's a lot more demanding where that's it's not an option um you got to hit a bar and they don't care the cost or the time um and they're Mm. they'll just keep hammering on that single note until you hit it so it it all depends like everybody's different everybody's got their different itch that they got to scratch gotcha do you feel like a lot of those uh i guess disagreements or i guess visions for a, a product or end game is resolved via like things like references and, and concept art. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, it all comes down to kind of organization, like smaller teams. It's a little bit easier to get everybody on the same page. Um, just cause like, you know, you turn around talk to the dude, um, and work things out that way. Uh, when it comes to, when it comes to like, you know, where the money's coming from, be it publishers or VCs or, even executive producers who are the vision holders, um, it's more of a discussion and you, and more of a debate of ideas and you, you try to reach that common ground. Um, there's no like one, there's no like clear bullet, but like reference sometimes does it, but I'll, oftentimes I've gotten in the trap where like, you'll be like, yeah, kind of like from this movie and show them, show them a picture of it. Like and he was like, I want that exactly, and you're like, well, here's the deal, can't do that because we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get sued, and that's a really bad look. Um, and they're like, okay, well, something something exactly like that, and you're like, okay, all right, and you you go and you concept it and come back, and they're like, no, nothing like this. I saw this movie last week. This is what you should make. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and that 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 comes from sometimes it comes from disorganization, sometimes it just comes from people being schizophrenic, like 
people got short extent attention span. It takes a you know it takes a long time to make a game, and and keeping people focused even at the top is really difficult. Um, mm. It takes a it, you got to have the wherewithal to make it, um, and live with the decisions that you made. And not everybody can, um, and that's just the reality of everything. Like if you're at a grocery store and you you make a contract with a guy who delivers your bread for a certain amount and he shows up and he's like, you know what? I actually can't do it for this. And you're like, look, man, you signed a contract. Like you got to deal with it. Like you just got to live with the decision you made. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. But. Cool. Uh, finally, I guess I just want to talk uh, about career growth, I guess. Uh, so actually let's put, let's throw this out there. Say I am a, uh, a college student I'm just about to graduate how do I get to where you are how do I get to that lead artist position do I have to start off as an environment artist doing props like what 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 takes me to the lead artist at a AAA studio uh, well first and foremost hustle but hustle. really it's passion um, you don't have to start as an environment artist I mean I highly recommend it but it's not like you need to um <laughs> There's, I've, I've worked with lead artists that have come from completely different industries, uh, although that happens less now, just how specialized their industry has become. Um, but it's really just hustle and getting and constantly learning and, and, and not necessarily going into it intending to get exposure, but like participating in forums like Polygon has contests and stuff all the time. And whether or not you even choose to enter you should try to participate in some way, like take their ideas and, and that are the, and their challenges that they come up with for like uh, the latest, I can't remember what the latest one was, but it was like make an environment. It was completely alien environment. And like, it wasn't, it was really vague and loose guideline and seeing like submissions from that, you could see that people took it in all sorts of different directions and you could do that on your own. Everybody has their own idea of what they think, you know, an alien world looks like. It's not just what you see. It's, kind of what you imagine so practice putting your imagination in into practice um and that's usually usually you start to learn the most about art in general um you, you learn how to refine your ideas and make them more successful in a way where your ideas are communicated effectively um and that's the that's the best way to practice what i do um, but it's also the best way to just practice your, your craft, whatever it is. Um, if it's music, like learning how to score by scoring, like score a soundtrack, do it. Like start with the first song and whatever thing it is that you want to do and, and move forward and constantly just practice. Right. So with that, uh, like you started with a fine arts education. Would you recommend that as a starting point as well? Like maybe another layer? Uh, eventually... I, it's hard for me to say because, like, like I said, my, right. my fine art experience was <laughs> was highly conceptual. It wasn't there was no utility in it. Uh, I often refer to it as mental masturbation. Like, like <laughs> oftentimes the best art that came out of some of the the classes that I went to were the essays that were written to explain the artwork that they unsuccessfully made. Like, hmm. uh, the concepts behind it were really high minded and and super intuitive and they, they actually spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to explain it in a way that was better art than the physical object that they tried to make 
Um, so was it more of a like, like, hey, we failed at sort of doing the art. Let's maybe try to explain why we failed type of thing. Uh, and is it like the learning from the failure? Or? No, it's different. Like fine art is very different. It's okay. very, okay. very postmodern. Like it's it's the process that's the art. Like it's not necessarily the product. So, gotcha. like, you know, it's the guy who takes a, a urinal and puts his name on it and then puts it in the gallery. And they're like, ooh, whose art is it? Is it the company who made the urinal or is it the guy who signed it? And you're like... Jesus. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, how much am I paying for this? Yeah. Exactly. It. And it's like a ten thousand dollar sculpture. Like, no, I can buy a urinal for like a thousand bucks. Like, what are we doing yeah. here? I can pee on anything I want for cheaper than that. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's different. Like I I do recommend art history though. Um that's highly valuable. Um people have been studying, you know, how to represent light in all sorts of ways since the dawn of time. Um, and that's really what visual art is, is how you play with light. How do you reflect it? How do you bend it? How do you make it represent the things that you want? Um, then you get into perspective and how to force it and, and how to frame and the weight of pictures and the composition. Like, um, and those are all, those are all things I deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, so those are sort of the foundational bits. Like outside of the high-mindedness, it's like, no, these are the fundamentals about what makes things look interesting or accurate, yeah. I guess. Yeah, so right. like you start, you learn that stuff and it, it'll carry you a long way. You can learn as you go because um, like there's like the golden rule, like you see it in everything, but until you learn about it, you don't really recognize it, but you do recognize it. It's always in the back of your head and people are able to reproduce stuff that follows the rule of thirds without even thinking about it. Um, yeah, yeah. I always thought that was kind of cool. Like I was briefly at Art Institute myself after some other career paths of my own, but I found it interesting that you could actually sort of put your finger on that when somebody would point it out to you and say, hey, look, this is sort of how it's done and how you can recognize it in other things. And I was like, oh, that's actually kind of mind blowing to me because I always just thought it was people do it because they're more apt to be able to do it like an artist just knows how to do that yeah. but it's like oh this can be taught yeah so and, and like again I'm, a, I'm not the best artist in the world i didn't get because i'm a lead artist by being the best artist uh I, I i became a lead artist because i understand the process of making art and how to get ideas onto a disc or onto your phone um and that's the art that i'm interested in because I, I see video game as an art more than just programs. Um, I see it as a team sport as well, but absolutely, it's, yeah. it's one of those. It's it's different. It's a modal change as far as how you how you think about it. So, um, but starting Very start, cool. starting out, it's like yeah, just hustle, try, learn as much as you can, <laughs> uh, get out there, talk to people, uh, learn new techniques try new techniques never get nailed down to one because it's going to change on you <laughs> nice <laughs> cool i was actually going to follow this up with a parting advice segment but it sounds like that was some great parting advice yeah. unless do you, have, do you have any other things you want to just add to like hey this is my mantra for all you young artists out there <laughs> do this uh, no i got nothing on top of that <laughs> <laughs> you ended on a high note that's yeah, true no, yeah. <laughs> sweet so it was it was great uh, having you on the show jeffrey and talk about your experience as a lead artist here at 
Red Sprockets at EA, your Sony, etc., 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 and also what you've been doing and what you've done with world building and and how you know that that art has transformed a lot of worlds and a lot mm-hmm. of games. Thanks. So I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it, enjoy listening to this and hearing your thoughts and hearing your advice. So again, we really hey, really appreciate you. it. I, yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate being on here. It's fun talking to you guys. back so i have to say that was one of our best interviews it was really good he dropped a lot of good knowledge about world building about being a lead artist which is kind of intense yeah um yeah and it's just like his sort of general outlook on um you know his career and his development path and just sort of you know maintaining a pipeline mentoring people i i thought it was great there was you know his sort of thoughts on hustle and just how to get things done and you know his overall view i thought was great so Agreed, agreed. It was really good. Uh, So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, If you want to continue that conversation going about world building, about anything you're working on on your game or what have you, we have a awesome Facebook group called the Debug Lounge. Uh, If you want to join that, you can just go to Facebook.com and search for the Debug Lounge and request an invite and we will accept you and you can join in on the fun and you know, the experience of other developers like into the fold yes come yes. in yeah. <laughs> come yeah. into the fold uh outside of that if you like what we're doing here on the podcast slash our youtube series slash everything else we've done uh in the past you can always contribute via patreon.com forward slash the debug log uh just go there and you know pick a tier any tier Preferably the hundred yep. plus dollar tier. Uh, <laughs> hey, that could cut out our legal fees in like one year for our LLC. So <laughs> exactly. But no, yeah, but whatever. we yeah, whatever you guys can do, we appreciate it. It's great. You know, reviews. You know, a little bit of cash here and there. Not not a lot, honestly. Our operating costs are low. We have a little, but it you know any little bit helps. So thank you. For sure. Um, cool. So any outside of that, I guess you can reach me on the Twitter. I am at obeans. That's O with an H. Beans with a Z. And I am at R.E. Kilgore, K-I-L-L-G-O-R-E. Two L's. Two L's, folks. Yeah. And that wraps it up. So thanks again. Peace out.